you ever had a goal that just seemed impossible? If so, you've come to the right place. Welcome to Consistent Runner Girls and Notable Peeps, the series that gives attention to remarkable people who are putting on their shoes, doing their best, and believing in the impossible. All my dreams are coming, all my dreams are humming, all my dreams are coming true. My name's Steph, and today I have with us Holly Richardson. Holly, how are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. Hey, thanks for being on. So backtracking a little bit, um, I love that your name is Holly on the Hill. Can you talk to us a little bit about what started getting you involved in politics? Long before I was Holly on the Hill, I was a midwife. So um, back in um, 2000, the fall of of 2000, Um, a midwife got arrested and charged with practicing medicine without a license. And there were a few of us in the midwifery community who were just convinced that the law was wrong, not that she was wrong. And so we decided we were going to help change the law. Um, We were told, you have no idea what you're doing. You're going up against a really big lobbying group. You're never going to be successful. And they were right about only One, well, they were right actually um, about several things except for the not be successful part, right? So we did not know what we were doing and we were going up against um, professional lobbyists and an organization that had been around for a long time. But we learned and in 2005, um, a bill passed that legalizes direct entry midwifery. Those are midwives doing births at home for the midwives in the state of Utah and that is still the law today. Um, it, but it's, that is what got me involved in politics. Uh, before that, I was like, politics, no, who wants to do that, right? I would go and vote, but it was, um, I was not involved at all. I didn't pay really a lot of attention to what was going on, what kinds of laws were being passed, what the elections were like. Um, I just showed up you know, on election day, made my vote, and then I left. And, and um, working on this midwife bill just really... Uh, introduced me into a world that I ended up really enjoying a lot. It's I, I find it incredibly frustrating sometimes, to be honest, um, and I also find it very rewarding. So um, having really great policy discussions is awesome, and sometimes the political speak just for you know sound bites to get applause can really be annoying. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so how many years after that was it that you ran? So in two thousand and five. We, uh, the bill passed, and in 2009, I started Holly on the Hill, which was a blog. So I started blogging, and I changed all my social media is branded Holly on the Hill, um, really across the web. And in 2011, it was actually January of 2011, I got a phone call, and they, uh, the person calling me said, um, you need to listen very carefully because this affects you. And then he said, your representative does not live within the bounds of the district. And so I knew immediately that there was going to be a vacancy because the Utah Constitution says if you're a state legislator, you have to live within the district that you represent. It's different on the federal level, but on the state level, that's the way it is. And so it was a special election, and I ended up running in that, and I won with – there were six people in the race, and I won with 62% of the vote that time. And so I served – in the legislature only for a year, but it was really, really great. 
Well, and the articles that I read, so you are a mom of 24 kids, right? I am, yeah. Yeah, and and it said that, like, people sometimes would be like, hey, go back to, like, your kids or whatever, because you're all about family uh, values and you're conservative, I, and, and you were just like, hey, I like it where I'm at, and you just seemed, like, feisty, like, no one's going to push me around, and so. Well, that's true. That is true. <laughs> um, so, yeah, people do say that. They say that um, fairly often, you know, go, your, your job is to be a mom, and, and like, well, my oldest is 30, so I'm not really sure <laughs> what kind of mothering you're expecting me to do with him. But, um, yeah, it's, you know, that's one of the unfortunate things that happens to women in politics. It's especially um, common in Utah. I don't, I don't know if it's as common in other areas, but I, I suspect it is, actually, because there's this idea that there's only, quote, certain roles that you can play as a woman. And and that if you are a mom, that that's the only role you can play. And I don't believe that at all. I think that women, um, I, I think women have many gifts and talents and being a mother is one of the roles that they play, but it's not the only role that they play. So nobody ever asks a guy, right? Well, how are you gonna manage work and your family? Like, are you, are you too busy to have a job because you have a big family? Nobody's ever asked my husband that. But I interviewed for a job last year, and they asked me that very question. Well, you have a lot of kids, so we think you might be too busy to have a job. I'm like, <laughs> uh, actually, I don't even think that's legal for you to ask me. But um, <laughs> anyway, I just think look, I just think it's silly for people to think that there's only one thing that we can do with our time, and you know, there are some things that are so socially acceptable and some that are that are less so, but. I never let that stop me. And I think most of the people that I associate with, they don't let that stop them either. They have lots of stuff that they're involved in. And, you know, a lot of it overlaps and that's okay. Yeah. And I loved what you were saying too, that like you wanted to be example to your kids, like to get involved yeah. and that, that they can make a difference. Yeah. So one of the articles I wrote for the Salt Lake Tribune um, was titled, well, my title for it, they changed the title, but my title for it was um, A Man is Not a Financial Plan. Yeah. Oh, you. I remember like in one of the things you talked about saying, telling your daughter that. <laughs> yeah. So I have, and I've had conversations with my daughters as well and, and my sons as well. So I have, I have um, a fair number of young adult kids in the years post high school graduation. They haven't they haven't finished school and they haven't found um, their partners and stuff for whether they're going to get married or not. Even we don't know. Right. So I've had the conversation with both my boys and my girls to say, look, you cannot craft your entire life hoping that someone else makes a choice that you like. Right. You have to take responsibility for your life. And that means that you have to be able to take care of yourself, men and women, right? My boys and my girls, because we don't know for sure. What we do know is that, that if you take 10 young women and, and, you know, say, okay, how do you expect your life to go? There's not that many who say, I expect to be the breadwinner um, of my family. I expect to do all these things. But the reality is that they will, that there's only one out of those 10 that's not going to have to work to support her family at some point in her life. Right. Oh, so interesting. Yeah. I mean, the, the data is just really pretty amazing. I mean, moms in Utah, in Utah, moms of kids 18 and under over 70% are in the workforce, right? That's, that's not necessarily full-time work. Some of it's part-time, but that's, that's 70%. That's, um, you know, more than two thirds of moms are in the workforce while they have kids still at home. So this idea that you're 
you can only play one role is it, it's not true. And I think, in fact, sometimes it can be harmful. In that same article, I think you talked about how um, women are like living in poverty because they aren't getting yeah. that education. And so just very fascinating. Well, that. right. And the, the, the women who ha- the the people who are in poverty, women who have kids under five and who only have a high school education, those moms, if they're single moms, their chance of being below the poverty line, that's more than 50%. I mean, it is, it's, it's a direct correlation. Here you are a mom with all these kids. Like, how do you do it all? That's a good question. And I get asked that a lot. (laughs) So, um, so there's a, there's a number of answers. One of them is I don't spend a lot of time watching TV. So, um, that, that frees up a fair amount of time actually in my day, but we, um, I'm a big fan of time blocking. And so I use that on my calendar where I'll block out certain um, hours and say, okay, I'm going to devote this much to my schoolwork because I'm actually in a master's degree program right now. So I devote this much time to school. I devote this much time to work. I devote, you know, I have to spend time. I still do the shuttle kids around thing. So there's time for that. And then cooking, cleaning, you know, um, dishes. And I have kids who help, so we share the cooking responsibilities in our household. We have enough people that um, I'm only cooking usually only once or twice a week, um, and then the kids are helping. So there's just, I I use time blocking to do that and schedule it out, right? And if I don't get it on my calendar, the reality is um, it probably is not going to (laughs) happen. Yeah. (laughs) Because I don't remember, for one thing. But <laughs> so, like, when you go grocery shopping for that many people, is it, like, all the carts that you need? <laughs> you have, like... Well, it's funny because we we typically shop at Costco, actually. Uh-huh. So um, a lot of our kids are grown and gone, but we have 11 kids at home right now. Four of them are in their 20s, and so they all have full-time jobs, and they live at home, but they don't interact as much as the kids are in school. We have six kids in school right now, and then we're raising our two-year-old granddaughter, So we have six teenagers and then the two-year-old and then four in their 20s. So when we shop for groceries, we do make a menu for the week so that we know that we've got what we need to make the different meals. And then we shop at Costco, and it's not infrequent that I get up to the line and they'll say something like, oh, stocking up. I'm like, no, this is groceries for a week. (laughs) (laughs) And they probably laugh and you're like, no, it's true. (laughs) They do. And yeah. Yep, yep. You're like, see all these carts behind me? <laughs> no. Yeah. So most of our kids will come over for Sunday dinner. Um, at least it's pretty frequent. And so on Sundays, it's it's pretty common to have 25 to even 30 people over for Sunday dinner <laughs> every week. And then, and then it's, quote, only 11 during the week. So Yeah, only 11. Right. <laughs> oh, great. Well, okay. So Holly, you've started this blog, hollyrichardson.com. And you yeah. said that um, like it's just really like empowering women to discover their calling and find their voice and live their bigger story. So yeah. how how do you like help people do that? So that that's also a good question. There's a number of ways. Um, I'm beginning a coaching program. That's one way. But part of it is just to offer encouragement through the actual blog. 
um, so that people can read and say, okay, look, here's some ideas on some writing that I could do. Here are some ideas on how to get started in speaking. Um, the love of beer story for me, it, it's the idea that Viktor Frankl talked about um, when he wrote his book, Man's Search for Meaning. And he was a psychiatrist who was um, imprisoned. Well, he was, he was a Holocaust survivor actually so i think he was in auschwitz but one of the concentration camps and he was already a practicing psychiatrist when he was um put into this concentration camp and and he observed that there were people who no matter how bad the circumstance got they still were able they stayed alive right there were people who literally turned their face to the wall and they died and he was trying to figure out what's the difference between those and the people who were staying alive. Um, n not the ones that were being executed, obviously you have no control over that part, but, but the people who were choosing. And he said, when he got out, he ended up um, writing this book, Man's Search for Meaning, and creating this whole field of psychology around the idea that we as human beings are wired to have a sense of purpose. And as long as we believe that there's a meaning to our life and something bigger than ourselves that we're a part of, that helps us stay alive even through the hardest of circumstances. So that's what I mean by live a bigger story, that there's stuff outside of ourselves that we can do to make a difference. It's why it's why I go you know, to Greece to work in refugee camps. Um, it's why we adopted 20 kids. Um, we didn't, quote, have to do that, but I wanted to make a difference, and it was a way that we felt like we could, and so we did. Um, but it's that idea. So my hope is to give women encouragement. I do, um, I do have the blog. I'm uh, starting some coaching, as I said, and I'm hoping to do some live events, too, to do some of the, like, the hands-on stuff. Well, what do you mean by find your voice? Well, let's talk about how to start a blog. Let's talk about how to write a letter to the editor. Let's talk about how to do some public speaking, some of those things. Yeah. And I think that's like so great with like what you're talking about of people having a bigger purpose. And I just look at your story, you know, how you didn't really care. I mean, you would like vote, but you weren't like, oh, I'm going up to the Capitol and like letting my yeah, voice be heard. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and then that you were able to serve in the legislature and, um, and just all that you've been able to do with your family and everything, and and that's just an example that that you have been able to to make a difference. Well, thank you. And you know, one of the things that that I think is really fun for me is to see as my kids get older how much they want to go and do service. So, um, almost two years ago, I took one of my daughters who had just graduated from high school with me to Zambia, Africa. We went with Mothers Without Borders and we did, um, I think it was three weeks there in Zambia and we were doing, you know, humanitarian work while we were there. And she was a little bit hesitant to go. She wasn't sure she was going to really enjoy the Africa part, but we were also going to do a little bit of touring in Europe when we were done with that. So she came, it changed her life. She loves it so much that two years later she's, um, spending almost half of her annual salary to go again. So yeah. she, 
she's going to Africa again this summer. She doesn't make a lot of money, and she's like, this is how I want to spend my money is going to make a difference. I'm like, I just love you so much. <laughs> <laughs> and she's not the only one, right? So we have several others. I've got one that's a high school junior this year. She's just finishing up her junior year, and she's already said, Mom, I want to do a senior trip, and I want it to be a humanitarian trip. And I'm like, oh, I love you so much, right? I mean, it's just great. So these, a, a lot of my kids came from different countries. Um, I have kids from eight different countries actually. And they, um, a lot of them, they're just like, I want to make a difference. I want to give back. And, and that for me, that's one of the best payoffs as a mom <laughs> is that my kids want to live a life of service. You know, and that's really, that's been important to our family. And it's really awesome that, that they're, they're wanting to pay it forward. Well, and you wrote an article about that, how you said sometimes hope comes in a form of a stuffed animal. And you talked about being in this camp. Do you want to explain that a little bit about yeah. what these families? Yeah. So the camp, um, the camp that we went to uh, where I wrote that article, there were 750 people there. They're Syrian refugees. They, they are now living in what they call ISO boxes, which are... Um, little tiny think like a little teeny tiny rv except no kitchen so it's got a little um, living space and it's got a bathroom and then they cook outside but these families have been there for a while months to over a year and they they just don't have a lot of opportunity to you know engage in the community and so what we did our group is we took um empty stuffed animals so it's just the shell right of the stuffed animal and the stuffing and then clothes for the stuffed animals and we had our entire group which was 25 people and then the LDS missionaries who were in that area there were 17 of them who came and between the 40 of us we stuffed for these kids 200 animals so what what would happen is we let the kids come in a few at a time they would pick an animal, they would get it stuffed, and then um, the animal zips up the back, and then they got to pick an outfit for the animal. And we didn't allow adults in. There were a couple of exceptions for really young kids who didn't want to leave their moms. But other than that, it was just the kids. They got to pick, and it was really um, fun to see these kids. A lot of them had never had a stuffed animal or anything like that. And we even had teenagers that were coming in, and they were picking stuffed animals and putting baseball clothes on them and stuff, but, and, and just laughing and giggling and, and having a great time. So that's what it was, providing a little bit of hope with a stuffed animal. Well, and what really touched me about this article was how you talked about the this couple. Um, she was an interior designer. I don't remember what his profession was, but like these people were like professionals, yeah. you know? And Yeah, they had a home. They had um, a car. They both had jobs. And the bombs started keeping their their kids awake. They were from Aleppo. Um, in Syria, so that's been on the news a lot. With a lot of bombings, a lot of destruction, and they they ended up saying, "Look, we've just got to get out." And so um, they left, and they'd been in the camp for 14 months. And he he just saw, um, he he helped us give out shoes. So we went around and got the shoe sizes for everybody living in that camp, and and uh, he helped translate and and went around. And it was maybe uh, maybe four or five hours worth of you know, talking to people, which is great. And he just, at the end of it, he just thanked us so much for allowing him to work, to have an opportunity to feel useful for the first time in like 14 months. And he just, 
I, I think it's something that we take for granted, right? That that we have the ability to work, that we have the ability to choose our menu for our family, what we're going to feed our family. Sometimes they don't even have that ability. Um, in some of the camps, they're, the food is provided for them and they cannot cook. And, and that's something that I had never even thought of to be grateful for because I hadn't had that taken away from me. So it was, it was quite remarkable and we really had a great experience. No, that sounds so great. And just as you were describing it when you were writing, like you are so good at putting everything into words that like it gave more perspective of what it would be like to be in one of those camps. I love that because, you know, it's like, there's so many people that you can affect, but really the people in our own home are. Yeah. Yep. The biggest. And as you were talking, I was like, how do you like keep track of all your kids? Like, how do you like not mix up names? How do you like know what they're doing? Like, that's a lot of people. Well, I do mix up their names sometimes. <laughs> I guess all moms do. But I, I think all moms do do that. It's, and then you start to go down. Okay, okay whoever you are. Right? <laughs> yeah. I'm intentional about my mothering. I ha- We have been for years about our parenting because... You know, you don't just accidentally adopt. It's pretty deliberate, right? And there's mm-hmm. a process that has, you have to go through with every one of them. So, like, I know them. I love them. I'm their mom. Um, just this week, I went to lunch with one of my young adult daughters, and we spent three hours talking. I mean, that was really great. We don't do that all that often, but when we do do it, it's just, you know, it's really awesome. And I've been doing, quote, life coaching with some of my young adult kids as they're trying to make decisions on what's next. And how to use goal setting and those types of things. And I just, it keeps me connected. And, and then, like I said, we have kids who come over almost every Sunday for Sunday dinner and that gives us an opportunity to interact as well. And the thing, one of the things that's really great too about the kids is that they've got good relationships with each other. So they'll, they'll, they play together, right? We've got, um, you know, we have phase 10 and, you know, and the great Del Moody are some of our favorite card games that we play on Sundays and, um, they'll go to each other's homes. I've got a son who's married and has a couple of kids, but he's got, you know, one of my 17 year olds is up there right now for the weekend and they're working together and, and hanging out together. And it's really great. So that kind of stuff happens a lot. They have a lot of really solid relationships with each other. Um, and, and, uh, that's, I mean, we're all interconnected. There's no question. And, you know, and, and if the kids don't tell me something directly, one of the siblings will. So there you go. <laughs> but, but totally, I come from a big family. Well, not as big as your guys as there's eight kids in my family, but exactly. Like if someone doesn't tell you, like you hear about it through the grapevine. Right? It's not in a gossipy way, but it's in a way of like you're looking out right. for each other. Well, and sometimes the kids will say, I, I'm afraid to tell mom this. Will you tell mom? <laughs> <laughs> I was thinking about even like close friends trying to stay in contact and I'm like I don't yeah. think I talk to like 24 yeah. friends a day so that's why I was like how do you like keep track of what's going on but yeah. just like what you were yeah. saying there's opportunities well, yeah and remember you know a lot of my kids I, I only have I only have um six kids plus the two-year-old that are not graduated from high school and that changes in two weeks when my um when my son graduates this year and then we'll have five so so i have kids who don't live at home and haven't for a while i mean so i don't talk to all of them every day yeah like my my 30 year old son and his wife i talk to them once or twice a week um but i don't talk to him every day so 
yeah, it's it's keeping track with the kids who are at home. I've got a son who's on an LDS mission um, off the coast of Africa. So I talk to him via email basically once a week, right? So mm-hmm. anyway, we, we keep track of each other. And, and um, it's one of the things that I would say it really shaped, being a mom really shaped who I am now. Um, that I've now that I've been a mom for more than 30 years, but, but I feel like I'm outspoken and I don't have a problem sharing my opinion, even if people don't agree with me, but I didn't have that when I was first married, I wouldn't say, but becoming a mom and advocating for my kids helped me like not care what other people thought about my opinion, as long as I was right. Right. I mean, as long as I felt like (laughs) reasons to advocate. So I, I've had, I had a child who was being bullied and I advocated him for him with the school really strongly and and they made the changes we needed to have made and you know it's those types of things it's standing up for people who were telling me that i shouldn't adopt um this little girl with down syndrome she was the very first adoption that we did actually in romania in 1991 i was only 26 years old and i had this man screaming in my face go home go home you don't you're selfish american woman you you don't need to get this child and I'm like, I already feel like this child's mother. I know she's supposed to be part of my family. And if you can't help me find somebody who will, but I was scared to die. But because I knew that I should, that she was supposed to be with our family, I learned to advocate because I was a mom, right? I learned to multitask because I'm a mom. I learned to, to be effective with my time management because I have a big family, those types of things. And I did have people say, well, and I still do in the politics, you know, stay home with your kids. That's your job. You're supposed to be home with your kids. And I'm like, I I even had one person say, well, I love my kids, so I would never be involved with politics. And my answer is just, I love my kids, so I am involved with politics because those decisions affect my family. Yeah. I'm just like, I have nothing to say at the end of that because I was just thinking, (laughs) you're just like a little bulldog for your kids, you know, being like, hey. Yeah, I am. I fully acknowledge it, right? And it's it's that whole mama bear thing. And it's like, you know what? You, you, there's a lot of things that I'll tolerate, but you coming after my kids, no way, right? <laughs> I have kids that are different races and, and stuff, and we've had some racial issues. And boy, you want to see me come down hard, you start going after my kids, and I'm coming after <laughs> Well, note to self, don't mess with Holly's kids. <laughs> don't mess with Holly's kids. <laughs> Well, I, just to end, I just want to ask, you know, you've had people before, like what you're saying, who like tell you, hey, you can't do this. Like when you went up mm-hmm. against with the midwives and they're like, oh, you are never going to win or like different things that people say about your family. What's your advice to people who are in that situation that maybe they have an impossible goal and people are like, oh, you can't do that? You know what? I'm going to tell you, yes, you can. Right. I think there's a quote that says, um, people who say it's impossible need to get out of the way for the people who are actually doing it. That's one. I like it. Um, and the other is Eleanor Roosevelt, who was a first lady for our country, said, "Do what your heart says. Um, do what your heart says because you're going to be criticized anyway. So follow your heart. Do what you feel compelled to do um, because a you're going to be criticized, and b look, I, I'm a firm believer in in um, being able to manifest." what you want i believe that the universe is a friendly place i believe that the universe is out to um have our backs so to speak and that if we can conceive it it can happen and i'm surprised when things 
don't work out, <laughs> you know, and, and they don't sometimes. And we've gone through really hard times. We've buried four of our daughters. That's really rough. Oh. But, but at the same time, I, I just think that there's nothing that cannot be done. I, truly. I mean, I, I, I just think of things that sound really hard to me, like climbing Mount Everest. That sounds really hard, right? I'm in my, I'm now in my early fifties. I'm out of shape. I'm overweight. And, and I just think that sounds hard and impossible, but you know what? There are people who climb, uh, who are two decades older than me. There are people who've climbed Everest missing a leg. There are people who've climbed Everest and they're blind, right? Yeah. (laughs) There's, you just pick anything and say, well, that looks impossible. And we can find somebody who's done it, right? We can find somebody who's done it. And so I, I think just to really have hope and faith in yourself and, and look, sometimes you need to separate yourself a little bit and put some distance between the naysayers and you. That's a, it's easy if it's commentators on a, on a newspaper comment board online, right? It's not as easy if it's your family saying you can't do that or you don't have the ability or who do you think you are, right? But I've had that too. And you just, you distance yourself a little bit and just say, look, you know, I know I can do this. And so I'm going to go for it. And so I'm going to do it. Yeah. So, yeah. Holly, you definitely beat to your own drum. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) And just talking to you, I'm like, yeah, that's right. Like you can't do anything. So, so thanks. You can't. You know, moms, people who want to be moms, that's all I ever wanted to be when I was growing up was I wanted to be a a mom And, and I've done that and I love it. And I've also done all these other things. I've been a midwife. I still am a midwife. I'm involved in politics. I do humanitarian work. I'm in school myself right now to get a master's degree. I mean, I, I'm writing a book. I'm writing my first book. Oh. So, so, so you can be a mom and there's, there's nothing in the universe that says you have to give up everything that makes you you when you become a mother. That's just not true. No, that's great advice to have. And um, we'll be looking for out for your new book. That sounds awesome. It'll be Find Your Voice, Make Your Mark. That's what I'm working on. Oh, sweet. Well, thanks again um, for, for being on this show. And guys, remember to put on your shoes, do your best, and believe in the impossible. All my dreams are coming. All my dreams are humming. All my dreams are coming true. Thanks again for pushing play and listening to this episode. If you want more information about today's guest, head over to www.notablepeeps.com.